Yeah, you know what? It was kind of funny on Spotify. I was getting apparently a lot of like ads being like, you should make a podcast. It's easy to do on anchor.com. And I was like, that's nice, Anchor. I already have one. Start a second one. No. <laughs> what would I even do it about? Like You could do it about game. idols specifically. Oh my god, just talk about idols. <laughs> you listen to me talk about idols for like 20 straight ass minutes. Well, the reason why I didn't do that was because I I needed someone who knew how to edit, so I figured this was a better way. I would happily edit your idol podcast for, for payment. Yeah, for payment. Yeah. What type of payment are we looking at though? Um money payment? I meant amount. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, let me just pay you, you in tokens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me Chuck E. Cheese. Can I just, you know, I'll, I'll actually buy a Switch and get Animal Crossing, and I'll just give you bells. Nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks. I'll just give you gifts so you can put things in your museum. My museum? <laughs> yeah, I gotta make fun of my friends who say museum. Is it a museum? <laughs> Go, man! Okay, actually, though, like, how much? <laughs> if I kept it to like 10 to 20 minute episodes, right? How long would that take? Because these, these obviously take a while. <laughs> these ones take about eight or nine hours per episode. And that's for usually about a little less than two hours of content. So conservatively, 20 minutes would be like two hours. I don't know, like 10 bucks an episode is fine for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. I might actually consider that in the future. For sure. Happy to do it. I mean, I don't know if I'd do it about idols, but it'd just be me rambling. <laughs> I would definitely <laughs> think I am really good at rambling. <laughs> if you guys couldn't already tell, I'm already fucking myself over for the punishment game. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Welcome back to Applied Anime. I'm Dodo Ballet. And I'm Fayon. Join us as we jump in the deep end and dissect our favorite shows. As always, we want to hear from you. Our podcast is hosted on anchor at listen.appliedanime.com. You can find us on our website at appliedanime.com, where you can join the Discord from the homepage of that website, or follow us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com. And this week, we spoil Parasite, Masamune-kun's Revenge, 91 Days, Hell Girl, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, Happy Sugar Life, School Live, and Shield Hero. There's also a content warning for graphic violence, murder, and sexual assault. So, Feyan, what are we discussing today? Today's topic is revenge. <laughs> It's craziness, it's certainty 
revenge. Revenge. <laughs> so talking about revenge, though, there's a lot of series, I think, that have aspects of revenge. But we are, again, going to focus on specifically, like, revenge maybe against, like, a group people and more of a focus of, like, wanting to get back at them and less of, like, having revenge against society because that definitely goes under delinquency more so. I mean, there is a little bit of crossing. Don't get wrong. But mm-hmm. since we've already had a delinquency episode, we're probably not going to talk about shows that are like, fuck the system, you know, like, because we were thinking about it, too. We're like, oh, yeah, like, Cross Ange kind of has a revenge plot. But right. at the same time, a lot of it's like, I hate the system, Rawr. or like, mm-hmm. or her almost like not caring about the system at the beginning, too. Um, yeah. Another show like that would be like Full Metal Alchemist. Whereas I think there's kind of, there's almost like a sort of revenge they want against their mother's death. So then they try and bring her back. And then there's kind of them searching for a way to get their bodies back. I guess that's not really revenge. But like, at least, you know, the whole mother part Mm -hmm. I was thinking about. But there are two shows that we're going to focus on in particular, though, which is 91 Days and Parasite. Mm -hmm. We were going to watch Code Geass, but neither of us finished it because we both have lives. Sorry. Yeah, we just didn't have time for it, unfortunately. I've seen maybe halfway through the first season of Code Geass, and I like it. I just haven't had time to go back to it, honestly. Mm-hmm. What's the uh, premise? The premise of Code Geass is there's a guy named Lelouch who is pretty much wanting to... Well, there's like a war going on, and he ends up in a situation where there's this girl he meets whose name is C2, and he she pretty much gives him the power to control people one time by looking in their eyes it's kind of like the death note in the sense of where like it can either be for a short period of time or like you can extend it depending on how you phrase everything you know mm-hmm. and so it's kind of interesting in that aspect not as intricate as like how light can write out like i want you to do this 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 at certain time periods but like like look into their eyes and just be like at this time every day i want you to like mark a wall or something like that mm-hmm. and they will continue to do the, to do that until eternity i think too but then again, the only catch is that you can only do it once. Hmm. Japan's taken over by Britannia, which is kind of like a British Empire-ish sort of feel. That It's Japan versus Britannia. And like, they have power and pressure over Japan. But like, there's definitely, you know, people, Japanese people that want their freedom back. And so he kind of joins them and like fights against the power, which is, you find out is like his father who kind of disowned him and his sister and wanting revenge on his father for how they treated his mother essentially so the entire thing's kind of a revenge plot in a way gotcha it's just really intricate too and just really like it's nice and action-packed it's really thought-provoking it's just really fun honestly and i'm kind of sad i haven't finished it yet sounds interesting yeah i don't know we we suggested at least one show to each other i told dodo that he should watch parasite because i think my personal opinion is that parasite is the tokyo ghoul that we never got um, in the sense of like, it goes more in depth about different aspects in the show, such as like him turning into a parasite, him kind of like wanting to fight it, kind of like in Tokyo Ghoul, but also like this fact of like accepting it, but also like kind of the the difference is also like whoever that ghoul is that ate the main guy character, like they kind of have an interaction in a way where she's trying to like control him and make him more of like a ghoul, whereas in like Parasite you have Migi, who like is the parasite living in his arm because he couldn't get into his head like normal mm-hmm. like they kind of have this symbiotic relationship where they like mutually work together but they're not really in cahoots at the same time mm-hmm. that's interesting so we can dive into that a little bit if you want yeah i have a lot to say about parasite for sure 
Um, there's definitely a lot of interesting themes that come up, and they they come up pretty explicitly. Um, but I'll get into that more later on. Parasite is a show about a young high school student named uh, Shinichi who wakes up one day to find that this bad dream he had about a parasite burrowing into his hand was not at all a bad dream, but actually something that actually happened. And so now he's living with a parasite in his hand. And what this parasite does is basically it can um, like manipulate its flesh in his right hand pretty much however it wants in a way. And most often it can like manipulate it into like a weapon with like blades. And so basically the parasite kind of reveals that he's not the only one of his kind, that there are other parasites that are now emerging. um, And these parasites need to have human hosts in order to survive. Migi, which is the name that Shinichi gives his parasite because he's his right hand. And Migi means right. Migi is different because... Ordinarily, parasites try to go in through the ear in order to get to the brain. But because Shinichi had headphones on, Migi instead burrows into his hand. And so Shinichi uses his headphone cord to like tourniquet his arm in order to prevent the parasite from crawling further up his arm. Of course, he has no idea what's going on at this point. He's just like, there's a thing in my arm. I don't like it crawling around under my skin. And so then Migi ends up basically like maturing in his like right forearm and so that's the only part of his body that he can really control at the beginning Mm -hmm. so basically the plot is um shinichi and migi having these interactions with other parasites oftentimes they're very violent encounters because parasites i mean they don't like naturally get along necessarily and there's an element of the parasites don't want to be found out basically but they can sense each other. I think it's within a range of 300 meters. So they can sense if another parasite's around and they can kind of sense what their intent is as well. Like they can sense like specifically if like, oh, they're going to kill somebody or like they're going to try to kill me. They can kind of sense that. But parasites kind of try to do different things. Like it's not just like they're there to kill and eat humans because they also have to like eat human flesh supposedly to survive. And so they're basically like these human you could call them imposters walking around trying to kill and eat other humans. Um, but then some of the, the parasites like try to figure out different ways to live and survive among the humans. And some of them support a candidate for the mayoral race. And so like they get up into like the political system. And then they're, once the, the police force and like the the bigger military force kind of find out about them. They like start this campaign against them to like eliminate these parasites. And it's basically just about all of those conflicts that arise. And then also the fact that Shinichi is still a high school student and he has to try and more or less protect his quasi girlfriend. So yeah, he's trying to protect Murano from all of this. Oh, and the other important thing to note is that, um, so there's this whole plot that develops of his parents go on this trip and his mom gets killed by a parasite and her body gets taken over by a parasite. And basically she comes home to him because he wasn't on the trip with them and she stabs Shinichi through the chest. And it looks like, like, how do you get out of this? He's going to die. But what happens is Migi ends up being able to use his flesh manipulating powers to like 
go into Shinichi and basically use his some of his cells to like function as his heart in order to keep his blood pumping and keep him living. And so this basically results in Migi's parasite cells kind of be, being distributed all over Shinichi's body. And in a way, it kind of just turns him, gives him like superhuman uh, abilities. And so that becomes an important thing as well. Another interesting part of it is like watching him change as a like personality wise too because he starts off as you know like one of those more timid characters and kind of grows from having like a lot of emotions to like kind of losing them in a sense and like in an uncontrolled fashion like becoming more cynical and like cold towards different things too was really interesting in this show yeah and that's what Murano I guess that's her purpose isn't it that's kind of her plot purpose yeah is to be which is kind of sad um we can talk more about this too but like Kind of, it seems like her main purpose in this show is to like be the gauge of Shinichi's humanity. Mm-hmm. There's a very telling scene where they meet up in a park for some reason, and there's like a dead puppy, and so Shinichi picks up the puppy and like throws it away in the trash can, mm-hmm. and she's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Yeah. And um and he's just like, What? It was dead. I threw it away. I just want to leave it here and rotting. And then she's just kinda like, I don't know who you are anymore. Cause like any normal person, you yeah. know, would like make a little small burial site for it. Yeah, or, or just you figure out some less callous way of disposing of it. Mm-hmm. But like they have a lot of encounters like that where they'll and it's it the weird thing is it's like oftentimes it's in a park. I don't I don't know what to make of this, but um she remarks at the end like you know, Shinichi likes parks. Like, he ends up in parks a lot. And once she said that, I was like, wait, you're right. He is in parks a lot. Why is this? <laughs> this is very strange, but this is, like, clearly a motif. I don't know what, don't know what they're getting at here. I mean, maybe it's the association of, like, nature within civilization. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot going on here with these, these sort of, like, philosophical dichotomies um, that I'll get more into, but but like, yeah, she kind of exists there to meet up with him in a park and be horrified at how inhuman he is and then run away and be upset with him. Until they have sex. Until they have sex, which like they barely reconcile. And then they're like, we're fucking now, even though I don't think we've seen them kiss up to that point. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I was kind of felt random, honestly. Like, is this based on a manga? Yes, yes it, is. it is. Okay. That helps me understand some of these things then. That's good. But yeah, I mean, there's so many directions we could go with this, but... We're focusing on revenge. Right. The main revenge plot is him trying to more or less avenge his mother's death. And I think at one point he explicitly kind of says that like, yeah, I want to destroy all these parasites because of what one of them did to my mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of changes as it goes. The police chief in the town also explicitly states a revenge desire he wants to avenge the detective whose family and ultimately himself were killed by parasites so there's definitely like an an element of humans wanting revenge against parasites here that's the i think the driving there was that one interesting part like that that one woman actually has that baby right tamara reiko yeah yeah she hands it off to shinichi while she's being shot that's a very melodramatic scene forgot about that scene sorry yeah. i was just thinking about it i don't know there's just so many interesting characters in this show like 
like obviously you you kind of get to see like other parasites that have failed you also mm-hmm. get to see like parasites that embody like there's like a dog one at one point because it kind of mm-hmm. failed to get into a human that was sick i don't know it's just a very interesting show it it kind of wears these um themes on its sleeve pretty heavily like there's a lot of expository narration in this show and so they don't really try to be subtle about some of these main themes um, one of them being like what does it mean to be human and what is the function of altruism in looking after yourself or versus look, looking out for others in your species versus looking out for all life on earth should we care about others should we care about just our species what should humans do right this conversation is is prompted of course by the parasite infections but like specifically because parasites and migi makes this crystal clear all the time parasites have no sense of quote empathy that they really see no reason to protect other parasites let alone humans um, that they really only value their own well-being and so one of the really, I think, really strong part of this show is the conflict of interest between Shinichi and Migi, despite being allies in the sense that they both rely on Shinichi's body to survive, um, so they have to be able to compromise, that they often have different motives and see things, see situations in different ways. More often than not, Migi is the one who's like, preserve yourself over everything else. Don't be altruistic at all. Whereas Shinichi um, is very tormented by this and always feels guilty and feels like he hasn't done enough. Feels like he really needs to be there to protect people and always feels horrible. And, you know, fair enough. Whenever someone dies in a way that he could have prevented or that he is possibly the cause of which like kind of goes back to the whole like i think watching him become colder too is him kind of not even like accepting but being kind of forced into this mindset of more so what migi has too which is just another way of showing like how the parasite has affected him over time right it seems like they kind of conflate empathy with emotion at least in the characterization of shinichi because the the big imagery of him losing his sense of um, like caring about life the way he used to is that he's no longer able to cry which finally gets restored to him for some reason after uh, Tamara dies right in front of him and and he has all this like dramatic flashback and he's like oh I can cry again Um, because Tamara is a parasite yet I saw her like showing empathy so I guess I that means I can be empathetic too the entire show itself was kind of about revenge, but there definitely was more themes than just revenge. And I'm thinking of revenge here also in terms of just, is it rational to look for justice outside of your own well-being? Mm-hmm. Revenge itself is notable as like a specifically human thing or whatever. And that's not to say that other animals don't seek revenge or whatever, but like, the the way that we think about revenge is something that is specifically not rational in preserving yourself or in living your life as an evolved species um, that in theory, according to how we understand, again, evolution, 
your your goal should be self-preservation. Revenge throws like the the presence of revenge, the desire for justice more broadly, even if it, a revenge is a type of seeking justice, is something that is has typically been thought about as quote above the animal, you know. Um, it's what sets humans apart from all the other animals is that we're special and that we seek justice. And that's why we have civilization um, because we don't want to live in the Thomas Hobbes world of life being nasty, brutish, and short. Instead, we want to work together to create a harmonious society where people get along. And ultimately that serves us as a species because working together, we're able to accomplish more than, than if we don't, but it also just has this very altruistic notion that is supposedly allows us to transcend other species which is something that parasite really kind of criticizes which i thought was interesting i, w- I want to talk specifically about how we think of species here because i think this is definitely provides an interesting way to think about animal rights which i don't think we've really talked about extensively yes there's not a lot of shows to talk about it extensively yeah, I will gladly accept that this might be a tangent, but I think it's worth talking about anyway. I think we get early on this comment from Migi about, because of course Shinichi is talking about how, oh, humans are different because we have empathy or whatever. And we care about each other and we care about, we like value other life. And Shinichi is like, well, do you actually, if you eat meat and you keep other animals and torture and kill them in order to have food. I mean, you're no better than a parasite if you're doing that. That gets addressed like in episode two very early on. When when you bring up that contradiction, it kind of leads to two extremes philosophically. Either, I'm not saying that this is exactly how the show goes, but like you're, you either go like the hard parasite route of like, okay, well, fair enough. Uh, we shouldn't be hypocrites. In fact, we should actually be cruel to an outgroup whether that is everyone outside of my individual self or whether that is everyone outside of my species. And of course, you can import that to like everyone outside of my tribe or everyone outside of my race or whatever. It's, you know, making sure that you're excluding a particular group um, and preserving a particular group, Mm. setting your, your value of life upon those boundaries. Alternatively, you could go the other route or in other route, which we see the um, the human, which the plot twist is that the the mayor who who wins the mayoral election with the team of parasites is actually not a parasite himself, as it is assumed, because he's on stage with all these other parasites when they sense them, and he is very much a sort of deep ecologist, uh, ideologically believing that you know humans really have. I mean, fucked up the world and that we should prioritize balancing all life on earth rather than specifically human life over other life. And so he makes that appeal that kind of gets revealed at the very end. So we have these two uh, opposing philosophies going on. At the end, we see Shinichi's ultimate realization after he has to deal with this sort of serial killer side plot that... um, at the very end, he like kidnaps his girlfriend and then he has to go save her. And the, the serial killer is like talking about how like, I'm one of the real humans, right? Cause you know, everyone is just out to get their own. Everyone just like wants to kill each other, but they hold back. You know, I'm, I'm a real one because I don't hold back, right, Shinichi? And, and what this kind of leads to is Shinichi reflecting on 
and you know i'm kind of taking this to be the overall thesis of the show because this is where we end with like the happy ending him thinking about self-gratification of humans and he kind of comes to this sort of midway conclusion that like you know of course we should treat our neighbors with respect referring to other animal species um, referring to the world as a whole because you know he acknowledges that we're really fucking up the planet um, and this kind of comes up as well he confronts us directly when he has to like deal with this dump in the forest where he's fighting the main boss guy and so he's like yeah we're fucking up the planet um, we need to treat our neighbors with respect they deserve it however that shouldn't stop us from also seeking our own self-gratification because that's what we do as evolved creatures. Like we stick up for our own and we try to survive on our own and we can't be blamed for doing that because that's who we are. It's based in self-gratification also of like, we need to protect the world in order to protect ourselves. And we need to acknowledge that we're part of that world, but there's no like sort of metaphysical appeals to like, there's some greater purpose in serving others. I'll talk about the implications of this ideology a little bit more, but Fayan, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this philosophical divide and and what your own perspective is on it. Because I've been talking for a long time. Yeah, I know you have, but it's okay. I uh, don't remember the show enough. I do remember these aspects in the show, and that's why I also was like, oh, Dota needs to watch this because Dota really likes animal rights. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember thinking like, it's a really interesting take on it of like trying to find the balance between, I don't know. It's always interesting to hear stories or like see series, right? Where you have a, a somewhat bigger bad than the human race that exists. And like the natural reaction of every free- freaking human movie is we need to destroy this thing because we need to be the top dogs, right? Yeah, it's Godzilla. Exactly. Which I actually just watched both the, like two of the Godzilla movies like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They were fun. But, like, I liked also in the Godzilla movies, like, the whole, like, the idea of finding a balance and just, like, accepting that they exist. And, like, as long as they're not hurting us and we're not hurting them, like, living in harmony, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's going to eventually be a bigger bad than us that isn't, you know, coronavirus, something without a brain that's gonna, you know, maybe start killing us. And, like, it's only natural to, like, want to protect ourselves. But at the same time, it's, like, there is natural selection. There is like a whole balance to the universe. There are a fucking ton of humans on the planet. Like we are using so many resources, like so much to the point where like we will run out eventually. It's just not going to be in the next few years where it really affects us. But like generations down the line, it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do? We we move to another planet and destroy that one next, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe all humans just kind of die. I don't know. I'm more team like politician dude, right? Like they're going to survive we should figure out a system in which they can survive you know and that we can feed them Mm -hmm. and like somehow live harmoniously too you know Mm -hmm. there's ways around it right like every show that we've ever seen finds ways around it or even like if you think like a vampire series right like if they just drink the the donated blood thingies right they can (laughs) somehow survive that way or like to go to the red cross for vampires mm -hmm. exactly like there's always some sort of way that they figure it out and like maybe it's not the most ideal way maybe it's maybe if they still have to like actually eat humans you know like ghouls mm-hmm. kind of too in tokyo yeah, Ghoul. Yeah. they even have those like little like tablet things that they've makeshift that they can like sustain themselves a little bit but can't really sustain themselves unless they eat human flesh 
Mm-hmm. But then they figure out there's a whole system of like graveyard stealing or something like that where they can eat the bodies of dead people, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. I don't but know then, like, I guess in this show, the question is more so like parasites only live if they essentially kill somebody for their body. So then, one, do we even allow them to like find a host in the beginning to mm-hmm. be these creatures? Or is it only the ones that we will respect are the ones that have already done the host takeover, right? Right, right. Not personally, but, like, I'd assume we don't want, as a human race, like, them multiplying to the extent of, like, them continuously infecting more people. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a zombie movie, too, right? Where, like, you bite someone and they become a parasite. Like, right. it sounds like there's, like, a, a limited amount of them. So I guess, like, if you really want, if the humans really wanted to exterminate all of them, which there's probably thousands, they could figure it out and kill all the parasites, or they just deal with the ones that happen to survive and make it into the correct host, because that's probably only a smallish percentage of them, too. Right. But we, we've learned to live together with parasites, more or less. Like, it's, it doesn't resolve super cleanly. But, like, the, the ending implies that there can be a happy ending in which parasites and humans end up living together in some way or another and again it might not be perfect there might still be deaths blah 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 how can you still justify a system by which you are slaughtering and killing billions of sentient beings no they're not parasites no they're not intelligent in the same specific way that humans and parasites happen to be together no they don't share a common language like the 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 implication of this message of respect should translate to we should stop eating meat if we don't have to. The fact that we see this big plate of steak at the end implies to me that we are still allowing for highly unethical, highly cruel consumption based on this logic. And saying it's a bad faith argument because this respect seems to still be based on proximity to human intelligence rather than respect for the life itself. You know what I'm saying? So like the lip service is there to say we need to protect the planet, blah, blah, blah. We need to protect the species. We shouldn't be ne- unnecessarily cruel. But it, it just it fits very conveniently within existing human society. And it, it, and it also has the leeway to say, oh, but we're still human animals. We still look out for ourselves. So we're still going to like be assholes some of the time. And so it like it gives itself an out to to not really carry that to a more radical conclusion. And I'm not saying I totally agree with the mayor. Like, I do agree with the ultimate conclusion to a sense. And I think it does a very good job to not, like, revert to metaphysics or revert to some higher sense of abstract humanity that is unexplainable and, oh, we're just humans and we do what humans do and uh, who knows, it must be the way God created us or something. It's always going to be a mystery that sets us apart from different animals. I think this narrative does like reject that in a sense. Um, it's, it's a lot more sort of agnostic about it. But we can take those implications a little bit farther and say, okay, we can examine human existence a little more critically because that's always what happens in these damn stories is we, we get to the end, we question humanity and like, oh, what are we doing? humanity is so fallen blah 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 and then we get to the end in our in our hero's journey and realize well you know things aren't as great and and like flowering perfect but you know this is what humans do we're humans and we do what humans do and it's like that's great um and it challenges nothing so 
that's that's really great that the writers of the show felt that that was their own personal trajectory and coming to realize why um, they can justify living in a world that is entirely fucked up um, and then pay lip service to some things that might need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, when in actuality, they're like, as you rightly note, irreconcilable destruction that needs to be changed urgently, rapidly, not just from a uh, global world perspective, but also from the perspective of the individual. And this is where I differ with the mayor quite a bit. Rather than prioritizing the globe or the, the, the whole world, preserving individual well-being is also like part of that. And so like to say, um, like we can, and this is like the whole Thanos argument, right? Like, or, or any of these um, pseudo globally thinking villains who are like, we need to destroy the lives of a lot in order to protect the greater good. But it's like, like the, the world means nothing then to those individuals that you fucked over. Like you are destroying worlds by, by preserving worlds in a sense. So what I'm trying to argue here is we need to also extend the characterization of the individual beyond those that we can easily recognize as individuals so beyond humans and beyond parasites, because the you, you can't just equate animals as in those who are not as recognizably intelligent with world, like with nature, like they're over there. Like you need to actually recognize them as individuals in order to understand how to treat them with respect. Like they're not just part of an, a, an equation of balancing the way that the mayor wants to see them and humans and parasites. If you're going to, to take this, this middle approach, you have to recognize individuals. If you guys need a summary of what just happened, essentially, be, it's really shitty that at the end of the day, they're like, here, we're just going to feed them this big ass steak. That then implies the fact that they didn't really recognize the fact that like humans still eat animal for consumption. And now even we have these parasites eating animals for consumption, in which we then don't recognize the fact that animals themselves are sentient beings having their own feelings and if humans have their own feelings and can communicate with parasites but animals like cattle or sheep and goats don't have their considered own feelings because they can't communicate with us even though they do in their own special ways like i'm pretty sure you could meet any animal and be like wow that animal definitely has something in there because you connect with like your dog you connect with your cat you connect even if you're a farmer you connect with your cow like there's clearly something in there mm -hmm. And so the point being made essentially is that we can't just assume that because they can't communicate with us, they don't really have their own sentient minds or beings and that we're not really fixing or changing anything in the fact of like somehow adding these parasites to the world or whatever and just like having our same mundane life of not questioning why are humans still using cattle as food in the series. Again, this is a 24 episode anime in which they're probably mm -hmm. not going to change the world drastically like that at the same time. But like in the real world of things, there could be a shift with the whole Beyond Meat thing becoming actually producible and sold to like the average person. Mm -hmm. So I, there might be a change in the future considering that like there are now other ulterior options to not just eating plants, which like is fine, obviously. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. But like the fact that they are recreating meat from like cells or something like that, like stem cells or whatever gives mm -hmm. a lot more potential of maybe not having to have so much land used for animal consumption of water and food and everything. But then at the end of the day, you also have to consider how expensive is it going to be to make stem cell animal food products? Or are we just going to add a new layer onto the already cons 
huge-ass layer of animal consumption we already have as a society. Instead mm -hmm. of actually saving the planet of using so much commodity, are we just going to add more meat into the market, which will then still have as much as we already do? Like, if we could replace the amount of meat consumption with the stem cell meat, it'd be crazy how much more food we could make in the world. Oh, crazy. Yeah. But I just don't think that's going to happen unless someone really points that out or if this meat thing hits it big. I'll add one last thing and then I promise I'll be done. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like also what part of my problem was with Dr. Stone is like, it's annoying when a stance like veganism gets associated with a character like the mayor mm -hmm. because it's, again, it's associating the animal with nature that is not human. Veganism doesn't mean deep ecology or or like eco-fascism right like as a vegan it's a recognition of actually respecting the lives of all sentient beings i don't know i feel like some vegans maybe are the mayor type though oh I, yeah I, and a lot of them are and i'm saying they shouldn't be because that's shitty but i okay my definition of veganism is actually a respective life of all sentient beings and that includes humans individual humans and that doesn't mean sentient beings should never harm or kill other sentient beings for self-preservation sometimes like it, it's not being that absolute like yeah maybe in some utopian future maybe we could achieve that that'd be awesome and maybe that's part of the project of of quote civilization but that doesn't mean always operating in, in absolutes where oh we always defer to what's best for the natural balance of things right mm -hmm. so i think it, it it is more individualist than i think it often gets portrayed and it is frankly a better humanism it, it is an actual care for the human individual outside of its proximity to the human species it's a great show though i really recommend it it could have portrayed this in a way worse way like I, there's a lot of places where i was like very impressed by how thoughtful they were in dealing with these problems and and again like how they didn't just leave things up i mean some some of the time they kind of did but they didn't just like shrug everything off you know mm -hmm. they allowed things to be problems and have them sit with those problems i tried to save you all by moving on before he could talk about it we haven't really talked about revenge at all in this episode yet really right. i mean what well, he he wants to revenge his mom so he goes out and like wants to actively kill parasites i mean to be fair there's not a lot of good revenge themes in a lot of series that even if they have revenge as like the idea right but mm -hmm. like i think there's there's a lot of different tropes though that come with revenge too that i really want to talk about in 91 days because i think it's a very good show like that mm -hmm. but there's a few other shows that you know, they do kind of the touchy thing of like, oh, we kind of have some revenge aspects. You know what actually surprised me, though, since we're moving on now, is that like, I don't know, I think it's kind of common, actually, maybe. Like, zombie shows don't really have a lot of revenge in them. Like, there's no like, oh, my friend died to a zombie. I want to revenge against the zombies. I mean, there there is a sense of wanting to revenge, but it's not like as deep of a passion, maybe because they're not. Is it maybe because they're not sentient? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. zombies aren't really sentient, in my opinion. Unless they're, like, special zombies. But, like, like I was just thinking about, like, School Live, right? Or, like, High School of the Dead. Where, like, the teacher character, right? She died. And, like, a lot of the... Like, the entire show focuses on grieving. Yeah. But there's not really a... 
I want revenge for what happened. Right, right. And I think that's kind of interesting. Is it because there's not, because zombies don't really have like, you can't argue with them. You can't like, how dare you do that? Or why did you do that? You know exactly why. They just like, they're zombies. Yeah, I think it's it's the same reason you don't declare revenge on a tsunami, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's just a natural disaster thing that happens. Yeah, and that's not to say it's not preventable, but yeah. that is to say that, it, like as you're saying, you can't reason with it. You have no reason to believe that it would act in any other way. Mm-hmm. With a with a despicable human villain, you assume that because they are a human. Again, we go back to this sort of humanist essentialism. Presumably, they have the agency to do something that is not cruel that they have the ability to make a choice not to do this and that they should know better. Mm-hmm. Um, so revenge, again, is that sort of revenge as a, as a means of justice of saying you did something wrong when you know that you shouldn't have and that is evil. Whereas a zombie, as you're saying, you can't seek justice against a, a zombie. One, because there's it, it's rare where you get a, a narrative where it's one specific zombie, right? It's yeah. usually like hordes that are indistinguishable. You can't base the crimes of one zombie <laughs> against all of the zombies. No, but like also like it's simply the idea that they don't know, know better. And in fact, in a lot of zombie narratives, there's the implication that the zombies are actually like really suffering. It's just like a horrendous, like tortured mm-hmm. existence to be a zombie. Says that there's almost like a sympathy there, and like especially like you can't. That's a fair point of put it putting it. I like that. There's other sorts of revenge too, like where you kind of take your revenge desire and kind of throw it at maybe something that doesn't deserve it as much, maybe too, or mm-hmm. like you kind of morph it into a into a new feeling of either like either a desire or a hope or like try and find a dream out of it, which is kind of interesting too. I think. I was thinking about some older shows, right, or whatnot. I when I was thinking about older shows, I'm just gonna put a plug in here because uh, I like Inuyasha a lot. Me and um Thriven, I've been watching it still. We're on like season four, and like that, I was like, oh yeah, that's like a revenge plot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny, but like I don't know, like with Happy Sugar Life, um, a little bit, you can kind of see it with um Asashi. Is that the boy's name? Um, Asashi. Yeah, and like wanting kind of revenge against his father and how he treats his mother. And, like, taking that desire for revenge. I mean, he does end up ultimately killing his father, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, he morphs that revenge and desire into, like, creating this dream of wanting to live with his sister and his mom and, like, be happy. To ultimately mm-hmm. have that also kind of shattered in a way. Because, like, Shio is clearly traumatized by Sato's death and, like, becomes, like, a pseudo-Sato. Or even, like, Taiyo, you know? Like, he gets... Because he gets raped, right, by the by the boss lady Mm -hmm. and like instead of like seeking revenge against all women society it becomes this like one he becomes terrified but two it becomes this form of wanting to find like a sense of childish love and like an almost like balance to the evil of what women can do in shio like this pure child who like patted his head once you know (laughs) so it's interesting to see like that form of revenge i don't think you get to see that as much in obviously in parasite it's a lot more like focused on i want to kill parasites but also like in 91 days it's very much like i want to kill the people who killed my my family and not so much like making it into something else right yeah, well, I will say just with just briefly on Parasite, with that framework in mind, is I think there is a sense of revenge being misplaced simply in that Shinichi 
sort of declares war against all parasites, at least at one point. I think he finds his way out of that in a way, too. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that he and the police chief and especially the um, big macho guy that they bring in to like do the annihilation, which is absolutely not shown in a sympathetic light, those are all characters who clearly have spite for parasites as a species. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as Shinichi realizes at the end, it's and especially given his really like friendly, almost familial relationship with Migi, that it is misplaced for you to condemn a whole species based on the actions of some among those species. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Tamara helps him realize as well. So I think it is misplaced in that show. He is mad at Miki, isn't he, for a while of just existing as a, like a being? Yeah, he. there are times when he like nearly chops off his hand. Yeah. Because he's like, I want to kill this thing. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, fair enough. If like... A random parasite joined your body after like being alive for what seventeen years, mm-hmm. and you're like, "No, I don't want you in my body. Fuck off!" Like, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a very normal response. I think. I think you're justified in that. Mm-hmm. So one more thing I want to talk about because, like, I think with parasite in ninety one days, it's a lot of like death revenge. But I do want to say there's not there is mm-hmm. a less extreme too with like emotional revenge because I'm even even like with um happy sugar life. It's a lot of violence revenge too. Like the father was physically abusive towards the children or like towards the mm-hmm. son. But like obviously people want revenge for smaller things, even like just love or like a lot of it comes down to love though, right? Like, you know, love and hate sort of revenge there is very common. I do have three other shows I was thinking of though under that. We can hit the, the lesser one first is uh school days. Um, the whole cheating thing and like long haired Kotonoha wanting revenge on Sakai for stealing like the main guy character Makoto and like mm-hmm. both of the girls in the end because they kind of get screwed over by Makoto just fucking everyone um end up wanting revenge on him and like that's why there's so many death endings right is because there's like either one of the girls is revenging on another girl you have them re- getting revenge on Makoto by killing him like it's just a big mess of just because love doesn't always work out the way you want it to slash people kind of suck sometimes of just mm-hmm. wanting revenge because of of love like i mean that's a it's an extreme version of it you also have kind of the extreme in we could go back to rakugo shinju mm-hmm. three men and i watched this together when we were watching it we were literally like oh my god they had a revenge baby so like kiku kind of pisses off both his best friend character sukuroku and also his love interest right miyochikichi and together because they like are both pissed off at him they have like a revenge baby who ends up like hating kiku for the rest of his life anyway in a way mm-hmm. which is kind of funny like i think it's interesting you don't get to see it often i think the reason why sukuroku is mad at kiku is because he pretty much kicked him out of the entire society of um rakugo in a way and like he didn't like fight for him to be brought back in by the elders like because um sakuroku pretty much was like i want to kind of change how rakugo is presented and then miyochiki for like because kiku chose his job pretty much over her and a lot of other reasons he was just Mm -hmm. like not very kind to her and like for how much she was in love with him and like yeah wanted him and so she ends up pretty much wanting revenge on him and then together they kind of have this revenge baby who like he ends up (laughs) raising as like his own daughter in a way but constantly tells him 
that she just hates his guts and wants to kill him someday too. I mean, right. ultimately they find reconciliation, but I do think it's kind of funny to yeah. <laughs> fucking revenge baby. Yeah, multi-generational revenge story. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely one where it's just a lot more subtle. It's definitely not clear cut where like, you killed my father, I'm gonna kill you. It's more like a, I'm, I don't appreciate your existence. Yeah, like the happy ending comes about because they're able to learn about each other and appreciate each other um, and like how they serve each other in good ways that ultimately overrides their, like if it doesn't right the wrongs, it at least contextualizes them in a way that like allows for healing, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see like the more analytical versions of like revenge too, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah. You see it in like a, I don't know, that's why I want to still talk about, obviously we're going to talk about 91 Days, but also like Masamune Kun's Revenge as an example, or even like Hell Girl, which I also want to touch a little bit. So like with Masamune Kun's Revenge, if you guys haven't seen it, it's a show about a guy who was chubby as a kid. He fell in love with this rich, pretty girl. And ultimately he, when he, the day he wanted to confess to her, she told him that she could never love a piggy like him and ultimately turns him down so he is traumatized for life goes out on on a revenge plot to become the hottest guy he can be which he's a little narcissistic but okay yeah. there's two shows that i think of when i think of that right there's amagi brilliant park and then there's <laughs> masamune kun where they both just look at their reflections they're like i'm such a hot dude and you're like <laughs> you're not wrong but it's also really cute that you're looking into this like this clearly in public shopping display where you can see yourself and telling yourself how hot you are. Like, yeah, good. Um, so he becomes really hot. Everybody's very like wants to be with him, and so he ends up back at the high school. The so the girl that he ends up wanting to to get revenge on, right? Like his plot is the cliche: I'm gonna make her fall in love with me, and then I'm gonna dump her because then she'll understand how I felt when she dumped me. Right. So Aki is known of being like the ice princess whenever anyone confesses to her. And especially if it's like a public display or anything, she will go up to that person, be like, I'm not interested in you. And then like give them a certain nickname of like a flaw that they have. And so like, because he has this knowledge of like, oh, this is how she does it before. Like, there's no way this isn't the same girl. Right. Um, and so he goes out of his way to like befriend her doing kind of like, I've played visual novels. I've like, read romantic manga i know how to win a girl's heart and he's just like it's so endearing because the boy's so clumsy it's he's just so adorable and cute like there's a point where he like this kid like right the one that just got rejected pretty much for being called like something ugly or whatever tries to come at aki and like cut her hair like comes at her with scissors and so masamune like grabs the scissors while he's like trying to like pierce her like whatever he's fucking trying to do like cut her hair i don't know and like mm-hmm. he starts bleeding and so he like plays it off as like i hope you're okay blah 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 like being cool and then he turns around and he's like oh my god i'm so hurt right now this fucking hurts this, i can't believe i just got cut in the hand it fucking hurts like a bitch and then he turns around again of course and he's like i'm all cool about it but like inside he's mentally screaming it's so funny mm-hmm um but anyway but like you know he it's one of those cliche plots where like as as he gets to know her more he again kind of falls back in love with her and then you like find out the whole truth behind it all um essentially like you know that like 
at the end of the day, they're going to end up together sort of feel. And, like, he doesn't actually get his revenge because they end up falling in love with each other or whatnot. But, like, I think there doesn't have to be much for revenge to be wanted. You know, like, it should be something as petty as being rejected as a child. I mean, you also get a lot of those stories in Hellgirl. Because the entire premise of Hellgirl, if you guys haven't seen that, it's older. And I I like this show. I need to finish it because season four dropped, like, a year or two ago. Is about a girl named Enma I. There's like this website that people can go to at midnight called like it's like hellgirl.com or something. And if you type in the name of the person that you want revenge on, Hellgirl will meet you. She gives you this straw doll with a red string around this neck. And if you pull the string, you automatically send that person to hell. But with doing that, you also condemn yourself to hell for when you die. It's pretty episodic for the first season, right? So like you just like see different scenarios in which people summon the hell girl to then um kill somebody like it could be as something as as petty as like stealing something to like one of my favorite episodes i think is number three where the there's like a veterinarian that like malpractices essentially and the girl ends up killing him because he didn't do anything to help her dog and so like when they end up dying like ultimately the person that they're getting revenge on like they have pretty much a whole nightmare scenario of like what they've done wrong and like being treated as such or whatnot and it's just interesting to see how one how petty people can be but also like there's also there's this one episode where a person wanted revenge on this other one and like they they pulled a string or whatever and kill them but you find out that the person who was going to die anyway was already going to be sent to hell because they had also done the hell girl thing previously Mm -hmm. and so like is it really worth getting revenge and sending someone to hell if they were already going to go there anyway. And the person was like old too. So like they were soon going to go to hell. So you just condemned yourself to hell off mm-hmm. of like maybe like five more years of this person living. Yeah. Like thinking about like as a third person view, right? Is it worth getting your revenge if it would have only been like maybe five more years and they were still going to hell? You know, like it's just interesting to see it in that aspect. And they do a really good job of just like getting you into the story and like really thinking about is it really worth getting revenge which i think is a good question we could ask after the break So for intermission, we thought we'd talk about the sort of psychology of revenge, what prompts it, because again, we've kind of discussed it in this episode as something that's kind of irrational that you do um, as a means of seeking justice, but it doesn't necessarily um, correlate to making your own life any better. I think the hell girl example is a great one where it's like you're willing to like destroy yourself in order to to destroy someone else. But turns out that there are actually some personal benefits that may be understood as motivations for revenge. So there's this study conducted called Combating the Sting of Rejection with the Pleasure of Revenge, a new look at how emotion shapes aggression by David Chester and Nathan DeWall, um, 2017. So in this study is basically determined that getting revenge, being able to punish someone for some sort of wrongdoing against yourself improves your mood and they did this by they gave some participants in the study they gave them the opportunity basically they were like playing this online game 
And so in within the game, they were sort of made to feel as though they were being slighted by their teammates or whatever, um, by the design of the game itself. And so at the end, they were given the opportunity to like punish their the people who who they felt slighted by by sending an uncomfortably loud blast through their headphones. And so it turns out that people uh, sought to do this, um, that they decided they, yes, that is something I would like to do. Um, And they got a mood boost from that. And the really interesting thing too is that some of the participants, the ones who on average didn't choose to do that punishment were those who had taken this placebo pill that was supposedly like locked in their emotional state um, so that being able to uh, exact the revenge, they, they would falsely anticipate that it wouldn't improve their mood at all. And so they chose not to do it. And so it's kind of demonstrated that like on some level, there's like an awareness that seeking revenge is a means of improving one's mood, basically, and making oneself feel better about it at least in this context it was determined not to be any sort of sense of like seeking justice or like giving someone what they've got coming it's based in making oneself feel better um there's like this particularly selfish motive for it so i just thought that was interesting there's also the thought of like in the moment it feels so good to like get that revenge but then like you don't think about like long-term consequences that hard about like what's happening and i mean i think it's interesting Mm -hmm. to bring in games because obviously like online games you have a lot of there's a lot of ways to be a douchebag in games like but like i think it's interesting if you bring in like the what they were talking about before to romantically like texting an ex or like um binging an entire cake or something like that and sending those mean texts but i think like it's very much in the like even those are like in the moment right like you could have Mm -hmm. you could be fine for a while and you could think about like something that they've done you're like that fucking bastard and then just want revenge for whatever it is because mm-hmm. even like in hell girl right like if some of them cool down at some point they're like no i don't i don't think i want to do the thing and then at some inevitable point they pull the string because they're like oh i'm mad again mm-hmm. that one episode where the girl accidentally pulled the string and sent her friend to hell and you're like fuck mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's very interesting to think of it as like a kind of current emotion thing of like wanting to, to get revenge and i think there's something to be said too like I, I don't know. This is just like speaking from personal experience, but like feeling a, a particular type of anger that is that feels right because it feels like it is in proper response to an injustice. So like feeling like I'm angry and it feels right that I'm angry and I can't fathom the idea of ever not being angry again because this is such an injustice that I need to continue being angry about it. And I don't want to stop being angry about it. I think revenge is a way of satisfying that discomfort, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the short term mm-hmm. uh, of being like, okay, I've, I've done this now. I don't need to feel angry anymore. Like I've, I've righted this thing. So it's, it's especially interesting to see when that gets applied in the longer term, when we don't get it in this like clinical study or whatever. And we see these characters who just harbor this resentment or this this desire for revenge over a long period of time even when they're not always angry Mm -hmm. and then there's i mean there's probably a whole different psychology to that too anyway this gives us a good segue into the second part of this episode so stay tuned after the break (laughs) 
about a boy named Angelo Lagusa who on his birthday he's celebrating with his family and his best friend like favorite childhood friend his name's Corteo and um essentially what happens is the him and his little brother hide in a closet to surprise their father but when the father gets home these men come into the house and essentially kill his entire family except for him he manages to escape and then he like runs away to his best friend's house to then run away further um, into a small town and kind of live his life under a new persona of Avilio Bruno. The interesting part about this show is that it's actually based, I think, in America. This town itself is called actually is actually called Lawless, but they're closest to Chicago, so it's definitely based off like America, and it's um, based in the what year was bootlegging a thing? It was the twenties, right? Well, yeah, well, that. Um, so it's like the early 1900s. There's a lot of bootlegging. There are like mafia gangs that um, are very prominent in town, and the ones that you know, of course, are controlling all the alcohol. And so Avilio gets this letter. He comes back to his hometown of Lawless. He meets up with his best friend Corteo, who at this point has created this really good home brewed liquor. A lot of people want it because, right, currently to get alcohol into Lawless. They've been having to, like, bring it in from outside, right? But if you can make it in-house, you don't have to worry about bringing it in and getting around the police or whatever. And so using all his resources, Avilio befriends one of the mafia gang gangs, um, the Venetis. And you then find out that the gang that he's actually kind of buddy-buddying with ends up being the gang that has the, f- the people that have killed his father. And so, like... In episode three, you get to see him kill the first killer of his family, Vano. And then eventually, like, you're like, oh, okay, so, like, there's these three other people. Well, there's two other people, and you find out there's actually three. The main guy being Nero, Venetti, the the son of the Don of the Venetis, who also is one of the killers. And then this, like, uncle-ish figure or whatever. And so... It's really interesting watching, like, because, like, you see an early killer, right, in episode three or two. Honestly, it might have been episode two. Like, in episode two, he already kills one of the first people. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, so, like, how fast is he going to, like, kill the rest of them? Um, Which doesn't actually happen till the end. But, like, even so, like, it's interesting to, like, know from the get-go who the people he's trying to, like, seek revenge on are. Mm-hmm. Because... Obviously, he can't just straight up kill them. They're part of a mafia gang. He would end up getting killed before he could actually kill everybody, right? Mm-hmm. If he really tried. Like, you can tell this kid is smart. Like, it's from the get-go. Like, he's usually the one making game plans. So, like, you know that he has, like, some sort of bigger game plan in mind of how to screw these people over. But I think what's interesting is um, there's a few lines in it where you can really feel how angry he still is about the whole scenario. Like, his entire aspect criteria of this entire show pretty much is just killing and getting revenge it's really like shown when he explains like when my family died i had nothing like i just felt like an empty shell and then when he got this letter that was when Mm -hmm. he finally found purpose in life again to avenge his family like he literally felt like he had no purpose in life until that moment i don't know it's very interesting to see them 
humanize right the characters that he has to kill i don't know i really like nero as a character um he ends up being him and uh, angelo end up being probably the two main characters in this show which is really interesting to me too because nero is very like he's like the typical protagonist character like he's the head-on strong leader type right Mm-hmm. And Angelo is kind of more of like he's almost like the character that you wouldn't pay attention to in the show, right? He's he has darker hair. Like Nero is like he has such strong character design where Angelo has like very much the I'm a side character, you probably wouldn't pay attention to me unless like certain situations, right? Like we want to know what's going to go on for him because because we know that he's seeking revenge and like it's all about him. Normally Nero would probably be like if it, if the show was about bootlegging Nero would definitely be the main character of this series. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they spend a lot of time together. You get to know Nero as, like, more than just, oh, he's my father's murderer. Like, there's even a point where I think is really interesting. Nero confesses that he couldn't take the shot on Angelo when he was, like, leaving the house. Like, they actually talk about the murder of his family. Nero, obviously, not knowing that Angelo is who he is, but. He's like, yeah, the kid was running away and I just couldn't take that shot. And then like later on in the series, Angelo is pretty much like, why didn't you just take it? You should have just killed me right there. And like at this point, too, it's very it's very um, powerful. Essentially, in the end of it all, Angelo kills three out of the four people, but he leaves Nero alive. Well, technically, he wanted to leave the like the dawn alive, too, so he can feel the the pain of what he felt too of losing everything essentially mm-hmm. it's just really interesting to hear him say that because like if you do think about it right if nero had just killed angelo from the get-go they wouldn't have lost everything but you also have to consider would they have lost everything faster though if he wasn't there for a bunch of situations that happened throughout the series where angelo or avilio is like we should do this this and this to get ourselves out of this situation or this is how we should handle it essentially mm-hmm. too it's it's interesting to watch avilio also like join into like the mafia and like you almost feel like he's he wants to be accepted by them too in a way i don't know if he wants to be accepted but like he gets definitely caught up into like the politics of um the mafia ultimately like everything you know he's gonna he's gonna um say oh ultimately this is all for my goal at the end of the day but like at the same time like there almost seems to be a little bit of loyalty especially after him and nero like hang out for a while too and it's just yeah i don't know i just really like how how they really humanize Nero and like like off of this one event, right? They like killed his family, they're murderers. But at the same time, like they are also people too. Nero talking about him and his best friend, Vano, like skipping church one day and going to the circus and learning how to juggle. I mean, like, we only get to really see Nero out of all the characters, but like seeing Nero like be good with children, seeing Nero care about his his fellow mafia members or his family, all the things like that, right? And I think the really powerful moment too in this series is almost is like the ending it was interesting how threven put it he was like it was he was like you know the ending was almost like mild or like what's it called when it's like not as dramatic as anticlimactic thank you it was anticlimactic but it like it's almost more climactic in the fact of like because at the end of the series they're like on this beach and nero shoots angelo in the back and it's like if you had done that sooner like years ago they might not be on the situation where you're pointing your gun at his back again on the beach, right? So, like, there's almost, like, tension because of that, um, the past. But it was also anticlimactic in the sense of, like, they go on the beach, they walk a bit, and then he just kills him. I thought the show was really 
good in the sense of like being a revenge plot and it was it was kind of like it was really nice to see like all the different working gears and mechanisms and like like it was very human in the way of being revenge because i think there's also oh one of my favorite other scenes though too is after angelo pretty much pisses off the glacias which are like the group from chicago that are stronger than the venetis he pretty much kills the dawn of the glacias and then they the glacias are like fuck the venetis because technically angelo at this point is a veneti also so they're like revenge rar. so they wipe out the entire veneti family for him essentially too um which actually was the problem from back in the day was that they were worried that the glacias were going to take over the like i don't think it was the veneti family at the time but they were going to take over the family that turned into the Venetti family because it kind of changes whoever's, you know, in charge. So, um, and that's why his father originally died. And so, like, at the end of the day, it almost didn't matter that his family died because the Galassius took over at the end. But, um, sorry, the, the thing that I really liked, though, was after he did the whole thing, got his revenge in a way, him and Nero are often, like, narnia at this point like because they're just driving everywhere nero pretty much is like well did you feel do you feel like you're satisfied with what you've done and angela just goes no i'm not even though i got revenge it doesn't fill the void in my heart that where my family was and i mean like obviously that's the cliche like oh revenge isn't always worth it you don't feel you don't feel empowered maybe after it or like the whole thing with like that article that we've just read right and then like nero being like or even maybe it was corteo being like Instead of, like, being an empty shell, you could have just found new life, right? Like, you could have moved on. Um, But that's also, I think, selfish to say, too. At least in Nero's perspective. Like, you can't tell someone to move on after you've killed their family. Probably not. But it was funny in this other section where, um, because, like, at the end of the day, Angelo has to actually kill his best friend, which was one of the saddest scenes, kind of. But there's this point where um, Angelo just looks like he's dead inside, right? Because he's pretty much killed his actual last family member, and it was his own fault for having to kill him, too. I think that's a really strong point in the series also, where like he's forced to kill his own best friend, that he probably was the only reason why he would want to live after the whole like revenge plot, because he couldn't give up wanting to get revenge. And like it's really funny, though, because Nero's like, it's okay, even if he's like an empty shell, I'll give him a purpose to live. And you're like, oh, contraire, boy. You already give him plenty of purpose to live. You have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just liked the show a lot. Honestly, it was a revenge show. I still think I gave it an 8, but like, it was actually really good. So as our friend Can't Through Even pointed out to us that this is based on, obviously this is taking heavy inspiration from like mafia movies can't through even pointed out it's inspired by the godfather that there's some references there also um goodfellas and um i think it was something to point out with a lot of mafia movies and uh, not all of them for sure but a lot of them people might enjoy them for the wrong reasons that it's cool to see uh, you know all the all the guys together and it's like usually men being violent and like hitting all of the sort of mob stereotypes and occasionally well often like italian stereotypes as well that go along with it and that that's just like fun to watch um but a lot of these mafia like classic mafia movies are actually kind of intended as like critiques of that enjoyment and sort of critiques of the kind of culture the the culture of of glorifying organized crime and like romanticizing it not so much in in how it operates 
outside of like civil society, but but like in in the detrimental effect it has on people and and young people and families. And I think 91 Days is like very clear in that critique in ways that some of these other films are maybe a little more subtle about it. 91 Days is pretty clear and like you still get that sort of like mob movie enjoyment out of it, but it's still definitely with this focus on this protagonist who, although he's singularly fixed on revenge, it becomes clear to the viewer that that's not necessarily good or healthy for him and that it's not really worth romanticizing, even if it serves as like a cool edgy plot point. And especially like this idea of, as you were saying, that he becomes kind of invested in wanting to be part of the family. It's interesting that like the the catalyst that makes him makes him so empty at the beginning then is there to kind of incidentally and sort of ironically because he's trying to destroy it that it still like serves as like a, a pseudo family for him as well and that like even if he's resisting it like he still wants to be accepted at at some level and and like obviously he still wants to be loved and so like being accepted by this organization is a way of like finding a family too. Yeah, and being accepted. Cuz he does get to the point of being like Nero's right-hand man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like the way that the crime family functions is it functions by like picking up broken pieces, I guess, in a sense. Like it functions by people not feeling like they have a sense of belonging. And so they come to crime and that's like how they're so easily exploited because it's like, this is all I have. This is my family now. This is my ride or die because I don't have anything else. Um, And so it like really feeds on really like the most vulnerable people. And it's really interesting to see how even though Angelo seems to think of himself above that, it's still like he still falls into that sort of exact same trap. It's just like almost from an opposite trajectory. Mm-hmm. At the end of the series, they make like a um, a huge concert hall where they like perform plays and stuff. And like the the cop of the town like thanks the um, Venetis for like making this theater. That's it. And I was I remember asked I was like wait Threven like isn't it weird the police are thanking the mob boss of the mafia gang for like making a theater for the town like i feel like that's kind of strange yeah Ooh, guess what what this series apparently is an original work oh interesting yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. it's as well i will say this one is a, like a much tighter well paced story than parasite where we get characters and situations that just are like and never come up again Mm -hmm. Uh, for example the girl at the hospital that has a crush on him for no reason and then we never see her again there's a girl in the hospital that had a crush on him well she's not she's at the hotel so he goes there and stays in the hotel with her and her mom and she has a crush on him and he like asks her for advice and then she like follows him around because she thinks he's hot and she's like just curious about him she like watches him jump over the wall and she's like wow he's really athletic like once he leaves that town where the hospital is she never comes up again yep yeah i kind of just remember that it was yep nope i don't didn't really remember i really remembered the one girl that died but like yeah yeah she was a little bit more memorable though too to be fair it literally, it seemed like the only reason this girl existed was to be like, we need to have some girl interested in him. 
at all times, <laughs> no matter where he. He's suddenly hot now. <laughs> yeah, we need someone there to affirm that he is sexy, and <laughs> also to just like have like a a loving uh, schoolgirl's gaze upon him at all times. <laughs> but no, she had no other function. She really didn't. I don't even remember her that much, but like I just I can like vaguely remember it. I'm like, yeah, no. There's nothing notable about her whatsoever. <laughs> There's really not. Anyway, that's another tangent for me. But, but yeah, no, I, now that I think of it, like, 91 Days was a very, like, clean, well-paced show. Mm-hmm. And now it makes sense why. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, guys, someday I'm going to write a thing or, like, we're going to talk about it. Shows that are original anime works just have really good pacing. <laughs> Imagine that, considering, like, they're not based off of anything else. But it was interesting. I really liked it, though. And, like, there's a... The 13th episode is actually a, like, goes back in time and talks about how everything kind of happened before that, which was kind of interesting. Um, Like, it shows them actually going to the circus. It shows, like, how did the Venetis meet the Lagusa? And then the surprising part was I didn't realize that, like, they would also be in connection with the Orco family, which was like the other, like the Orcos and the Venetis were the two big gang groups, like in Lawless, and then the Glossas, the Glossias, or whatever, were in Chicago, like wanting to come in or whatever, because you know Lawless is a small town. Knowing that they all had like a previous connection too was interesting. Like you kind of wonder if it's one of those things, like you know, mutual respect between like group sort of things that's lost as generations go by, or like maybe as like more and more shit happens i don't know yeah who knows there's one more show that we we should have hit a little bit that i totally forgot earlier and that was um talking about since we're still talking you know obviously about revenge and whatnot but also the fact of like getting over revenge or things like that um the rising of the shield hero has kind of its own little revenge story too that i thought was interesting i still love like kind of the joke of episode one is the only episode you'll ever see now Fumi's eyes like fully open. After that, they're always scarred. He's been scarred since episode one. I think it's really interesting though. Like the nice part about this show, I think, versus like SAO and making him like really hardened against like the entire world because they all just have something against the shield hero for some reason is like is the fact that they all treat him so horrendously, right? And then like obviously he gets his heart crushed and like almost gets exiled or killed or whatever and that just like hardens him as a character and i really like that because like he does go through the the thought process of like why the fuck am i saving this place if they're just gonna treat me horrendously and instead of like you know solving it in like an episode it takes like a while right it takes like at least three to four um whenever raftalia like you know calms him down i don't know i wish we could see a few more little like arcs like that where like Yes, it starts off hard, or like, yes, maybe it's hardened him as a character, but like, it's not something that's an overarching plot, right? So, still, the overarching plot of Shield Hero is there's these like demon gates that open, and we have to defeat them, so then we can save the world. But like, I think it's it's interesting to see a smaller plot like that to like just develop Naofumi as a character um, before even the show kind of starts, and like just taking the time to really flesh that out. I really like that. Yeah, and that kind of motivates his own, his cynical worldview as well. Because he wasn't cynical as much when he started. No, it's not until he like got screwed over that he's like, this place really sucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like him just like holding slimes is really funny. Like he's just like 
has slimes on his body chewing on him on the inside. And he uses those as threats towards the villagers. Like, how weak are these people if they can't even handle, like, a fucking slime? Well, he's the hero. He's the one who's supposed to deal with that stuff. I know, but, like, I don't know. I just think it's funny. Well, Feyan, based on what we've seen, revenge, is it worth it? Yes. I mean, no. Yes. No. Depends. I'd say it depends. Hellgirl, hmm. I mean, that one probably still depends, but like an eternity of damnation for it, that's a heavy price to pay. Exactly. But it goes again to that whole study of like not really thinking about the consequences, right? I don't know. I mean, generally, I think it's not a great move. And if if we're saying that you should act in your own best interest and in the best interest of others, like you can have a sense of justice without having a sense of revenge, right? Mm-hmm. You can definitely be able to understand when something is wrong and be able to work to correct that or to work for justice that isn't motivated by a personal self-interest, a, a personal desire to get back at someone. So I think it's it's generally not a, a very good move. And I think most of the shows we've talked about kind of reveal that, that ultimately is still, if it feels good in the short term, it's still deeply unsatisfying that it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. But with that said... I think that it can at least serve as a catalyst in order to be able to see the world differently. I think that's especially true in Shield Hero, a way to understand the world more pragmatically and, again, to come to a sense of justice that would not otherwise be there. So I think it it can have long-term positive growth motives as long as it doesn't become the sole reason for being, maybe. So what I just learned is I should not have a revenge baby. I mean, got it. who knows what good things could come of a revenge baby, you know? She could become the first woman to do Rakugo and totally revolutionize the 21st century iterations of this centuries-old art form and in a way that otherwise would never have happened had you not had that revenge baby. So who knows? Hindsight that's, 2020. Yeah, that's a fair point. Damn. I guess I should reconsider not wanting to have a revenge baby. <laughs> anyway oh my god no i don't have anyone that i seek real revenge against honestly like that's good at the end of the day it's like you learn from the experience indeed and who knows like your actions you could have accidentally taken revenge anyway and they could have misconstrued it as like a revenge plot that you didn't actually mean to do and now they're terrified that you're just like coming after them for the rest of your life and you're really not so Honestly, that's punishment in its own right, right? I guess, yeah, if that if that were to happen. If they're living in constant fear, like you win. Yeah, I guess, but you you win a game that you're not even playing. Yeah, but like but you're still winning. <laughs> I guess. Is winning enough for its own sake, Feon? Is are we going back to our competition show? Sometimes winning is enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, speaking of winning and losing, we all know who lost this week. Guys, let's be real. Yeah. And don't worry, I thought of a punishment game. So remember how we did um uh budget anime openings? I've realized Google Translate Super Idol. No 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 budget anime opening quiz. Oh, with the singing. Yes. I realize it's probably more embarrassing to do the singing than to be the singer. Oh no. So we're gonna listen to some lovely tunes sung by your own your one and only dodo ballet oh jesus christ so i'll send you my anime list you guys can play along (laughs) of course 
And we're going to listen to some wonderful music. And it's even better because he's not ready for this at all. No, I'm not. This is definitely being sprung on me. This is definitely a punishment. <laughs> yeah. This is a particularly cruel one. Yeah. You've uh, you've really done it. You don't understand. You'll understand how long I had to wait to talk. Oh, I know. It was a long time. <laughs> Listeners, I don't know Japanese, so I'm just probably going to do what Fayan did. Round one. I don't know much of this song very well, but that's it that's all i know wait it was like yeah just like that and but picture it being sung really angsty like I feel like you should do it again with like more emotion then. If it's supposed to sound angsty, you gotta bring out the whole angst. That was really good. I clearly, yeah, I I don't know what song that is, but <laughs> that's Flowers of Evil. That's the opening. Uh, I like never listened to the opening of that. Yeah, Except for the like, ending-ish part of it. I should have maybe guessed it off of being like, it's angsty. <laughs> yeah. I guess I should also assume these are probably series that both of us have seen. Y- yeah. Well, for the most part. Okay. Hold on, I got it right now. Oh, damn. No, stop. Sorry. Oh. Or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grand Blue Fantasy. Yeah, there you go. You did it. I'm just going to let you keep going. Oh, this one. you know that one <laughs> this is one of the shows that he hasn't seen guys but he's heard the song enough it's pre-pirate from toradora yeah it's a good song or a rendition of it what, what do you mean rendition Fayon? you tried <laughs> it's funny though because like listening to you do it because i can tell you don't listen to the song enough yeah. to like know it no, I just like, know like yeah, for like four second bits of it. Here's a good one. Oh, I actually do know all of this one. Oh, okay. I want to see if you get this one. Oh, 
Oh, this one's great. And then also hacking to the gate. Da, 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 I apologize, Lynn, that you have to listen to this. Actually, maybe you like it more because it's a bad rendition of the opening to Steins Gate. I don't know. Perhaps. Oh man, I I like I know what it is, and then I'm like, uh, then my brain just skips to a different opening. Like I was like totally prepared to do hacking, like do Steins Gate, and then suddenly my brain's like, no, you're gonna do erased. I'm like, oh okay, that's not the song I wanted in my head. <laughs> oh okay, here's one. Here's one. Do 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 do. Something else, and then yeah. Sakamoto. Oh, here we go. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
What? Sakamoto-kun. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that one, he said. Here's one more. Oh, boy. Okay, yep. Dancing through the skies. Dancing through the skies. Everybody, put your hands up. Food Wars, yeah. What? It's the secret opening to Food Wars. Really not, though, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that there you go. Did you feel thoroughly punished? Yeah. I think my roommates do, too. <laughs> I feel thoroughly punished somewhat, too. But it's fine. I knew you were going to do Sakamoto. Yeah. It's a fun one. Well, sorry, listeners. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Applied Anime, where we talked about revenge. Our question for you this week is, what sort of revenge tactics have you guys pulled? You can tell us by messaging us on Anchor at www.listen.appliedanime.com or on our website at appliedanime.com, where you can join our Discord channel on the homepage. Or you can tell us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com. So, Fayon, what are we discussing in our next episode? In our next episode, we'll be discussing harem anime. And reverse harems. And reverse harems, because we don't discriminate. So enjoy listening to me get punished next week. I have no clue what it's going to be. I'll think of a good one for you. But as of right now, when I'm not getting punished, thank you all again for listening. This has been Feyon. And Dodo Ballet. Signing off. Mama